Thank you guys so much for joining us uh, for church today. We're so uh, happy to have you here with us. And uh, for those of you guys who are joining us online, we know a number of our families are traveling or at home and you're watching online. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And to our friends, hello, test, hello, test. And to our friends who are uh, watching in other parts of the country, our friends in Alaska and our friends in Arizona who often join us for service, thank you so much for joining. Uh, we started a new series as we began the new year last week, and the series is called The Year of Jesus. The Year of Jesus, and uh, there's no subtitle or there's no like sub-question, but as you can see from the graphic on screen, um, so maybe for our online audience, Matt, you can show them the graphic on screen just in case they haven't seen it yet. As you can see from the graphic, uh, there is a underlying question, and as you look at the cross equals question mark, that underlying question is, in this series, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And so last week we imagined this very uncomfortable, awkward conversation that maybe we might have with Jesus where he's asking us to define the relationship. And he's asking you and me, what are we exactly? Who am I to you? Is this just a weekend thing? Are we just going to hang out only on Saturdays? Uh, are we going to hang out more? Like, what, what, what is this? What's, where are we going in this relationship? And it was a very kind of a strange conversation to, to imagine, but uh, this is this picture uh, that we wanted to place before us all as we begin the new year. And my hope and prayer is that you would look back at this year and say, yeah, that was the year of Jesus for me. That was the year where I took Jesus seriously in my life. Now, this series is really geared towards, you know, especially for people who grew up in the church. And it's an opportunity for you to ask yourself and evaluate who Jesus is to you. And, uh, and, and to, to, to wonder and, and think about your life and your commitments and your priorities to understand who Jesus is really to you. At the same time, if you're a person, you're not really so sure about Jesus and you're maybe not sure why you're even watching or listening today, there's a huge benefit in this series. And the reason why is because what we're talking about in this series is what does it really look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it actually look like to be a Christian? Because what you may think being a Christian looks like might be wrong. You know, because maybe you got it from television or movies or your parents or people. And, and a lot of those, as well-meaning as some of those people could be, they may not have actually shown you what it really looks like to be a Christian, to be a follower. In this series, we're going to learn from it strictly from the mouth of Jesus to understand this is what you're really getting into if you're, gonna, if you're really considering following Jesus. So if you're in that place, this is actually an excellent series. So you can really know what this is all really all about. And so we're doing this by looking at a, a few different statements that I'm calling versus statements. This versus this to help us identify, am I really following Jesus? Because that's the question we get down to. When someone asks you that, you're like, how do I even know? What does that even really mean? And we're looking at a few different statements that'll help us to understand. So last week, that first statement was this, decision versus commitment. Did you make a decision at one time in your life to believe in Jesus, or have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? And those are two different things. And we looked at the story of Nicodemus, how he had made a decision at one point in his life, Jesus is legit, he's the real deal, I want to learn more from him. But he had not yet made a commitment to actually follow him. And so where are you? Where are we? Now, this series is going to be kind of hard-hitting. It's going to be kind of in your face because this stuff is really important. And I'm hoping and praying that this decision and commitment to follow Jesus and make this that year, like I hope that really sticks with you. But it's not a simple, simple 
choice. So uh, we're going to move on, but next week, Next week, I gotta warn you, is gonna be the most difficult sermon of the entire series. This is the message, next week is the message where you're gonna hear it and you're gonna be like, dude, I don't know about that. Like that's kind of, what you're asking for is kind of a lot. Like it's a high commitment that you're really expressing in next week's sermon. And by doing, and in doing so, we're gonna tackle a very, very problematic verse in the New Testament. One of the most problematic maybe things that Jesus has said in the Bible, that if you grew up in church, you read it and you you're like, I don't know about that. So you just kind of move on and you don't really think about it. And it's this verse here in, um, uh, let's see, it's this verse here in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's Strange. That's weird that Jesus would say that. And maybe in your life, in your experience in the church, you've wondered, like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? We're going to tackle that next week to understand what Jesus meant. And it's going to be challenging, but I want to encourage you guys to join us for that message. Today, we're going to be dealing with one of the statements that are going to help us to understand if you've ever struggled with looking at your own life and you've had this, you've had this thought, do I really believe in God? Do I really believe in Jesus? I mean, look at the way I live. If I really believed him, then I would change. If I really believed God, if I really, if I really understood, then I would be different. And how come I'm not? We're going to be dealing with that. And we're going to understand, and we're going to hopefully understand, that it's actually maybe not what you think, and it's totally something else that I think is going to be a blessing and beneficial for all of us here. So with that, let's pray, and we'll get into today's message. Father in heaven, God, I thank you, Lord, for each person in this room. This is one of those series, God, these are, these are those kinds of sermons where I'm like really praying that you bring the right people at the right time, because uh, this can, can really make a difference. This can be that turning point for some people. And I don't know why people are here and what reasons they came or why they're watching, but I know you do, God. I know you know why you've brought them here, and I pray, God, that you would remove all distractions, including me, so that we might hear your voice and allow you to speak into our lives, Lord. Let me pray. Amen. Uh, have you guys ever been in a situation where this thought, the thought of why am I even here, ran through your mind? You know, like maybe you were at a dinner and everyone's talking but no one's talking to you and you're like, why am I even here? Or, or maybe you were on a date Hopefully not, but you're on a date and you're like, why am I even here? Like this person, who's that person who set us up? Why am, I, why am I even here? Definitely, I bet some of you have been in a meeting where you guys were like, why am I here at this meeting? Like I have nothing to contribute. I have nothing to say. I don't know why I'm here. And maybe you've even had this experience or thought when you're in church and you come to church and you sit in the pews, you listen to the pastor talk, listen to the songs, and you wonder why... Why am I here? In Luke chapter 7, there's a story where Jesus found himself in that exact situation, where the things that turned out, he thought he should have been there, but as things turned out, I wouldn't have been surprised if Jesus had a moment where he's like, why am I even here? 
Why did this guy even invite me? In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of a guy named Simon. And let me put the first verse of this story on screen. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have a dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So, in Luke chapter 7, we learn that a Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. Last week, we talked about Pharisees. Uh, and so, this guy is a Pharisee just like Nicodemus last week. So, Kind of elite status, uh, wealthy, educated, you know, respected. He had a lot going on in his life. And so you find out that this guy, who typically his group of friends, the other Pharisees, they didn't like Jesus, and you wouldn't really invite Jesus into your home. But for some reason, this guy, this guy does. In other uh, versions of this story, in, in other parts of, the, uh, parts of the New Testament, you find out this guy's name is Simon. And you find out that he was a leper. He was a leper. And the key word is was a leper. So if you're not familiar with what leprosy was, is uh, back in that time in first century uh, Jerusalem, leprosy was a disease or a group of contagious skin diseases that would eventually kill you. But not only would it eventually kill you later in your life, but from the point you get it to when you die, it's going to ruin your life. Because it makes you an outcast. It makes you have to leave your home. You have to live in quarantine. You have to live separately from your family and friends. And you have to separate yourself, which may be a very familiar experience for some of you guys lately. And you have to live like that until you die. So it's like a really horrible disease. But in other versions of this story, it says he was a leper, and, and a leper would not ever be able to invite people to his home for a dinner party. But clearly this guy, something has happened, and the assumption is, is that Jesus healed him of his leprosy. So he no longer has leprosy, which was a miracle, and, 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 you, and he's inviting Jesus into his home. Ellen White tells us in Desire of Ages, Simon, Simon had been healed of the leprosy, and it was this that had drawn him to Jesus. He desired to show his gratitude, and at Christ's last visit to Bethany, he made a feast for the Savior and his disciples. So this is nice. This is really, really nice. Jesus saved his life, and he's like, man, I'm so thankful. Why don't you come over to my house? Let's have a party. And this means that Jesus was not just a guest of the party. He was the guest of the party. He was the guest of honor. He was the main, he's the reason why this whole thing is happening. And so he invites Jesus into his home, and it's like a very pleasant idea, right? And so Jesus gets to meet a Pharisee. You could imagine his disciples are like, yes, finally, we're going to get an in with one of the influential people in our society. We're going to get in with the Pharisee. And so they go to this dinner, and some crazy, awkward, strange things happen in this story. After they're, while they're eating and hanging out, this happens in Luke chapter 7, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, she's called an immoral woman or an adulterous woman, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, Simon's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, which is very expensive. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. That's so awkward, isn't it? Like, imagine having this happen at your house. Like, you gather your friends, and then some strange woman that you've never seen enters into this room and starts to, to pour perfume and wipe the person's feet with her hair. And it's like, dude, this is crazy. But clearly in this story, you can tell that this woman is, in a way, very similar to, to Simon. 
clearly Jesus had done something for her. Something very extraordinary. Something very amazing. And so she is at a place where she wants to show gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus. Just like Simon. She was in a bad place. Jesus came in, saved her, and this is her response. She can't throw a party. Like, she doesn't have the money. She doesn't have the influence. She doesn't have the friends to throw a party and celebration in honor of Jesus. But she's thinking, at least I can do this. All I got is this, this jar of perfume. And it's expensive, and I can go show him my gratitude. So in, in very, it's really important that we understand that Simon and this woman are like really similar, in very similar situations. And then Simon says something. And he's smart enough not to say it out loud. And he just says it to himself. And you guys know what this is like. And you do this, and I do this, and our parents do this, where something happens, and then you hear them, like mutter to themselves. My mom used to do that all the time. And that was like, and I know my mom's watching. Oh my, that was hard, man. I didn't like hearing that. Like, what did you say? You know? And then if I would do that, my parents would be like, what did you say? And so Simon, he's smart enough to know not to say this out loud, but he's also dumb enough where he actually said this around Jesus. So don't mutter around Jesus, okay? Like Jesus knows what's, what's, what you're muttering. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 7, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Like he mutters this to himself in the presence of Jesus, hoping Jesus would not hear. And he says she is a sinner. Do, do any of you guys in this moment see how ridiculous what Simon is saying? How ridiculous it is? Like, bro, you were exactly in this position like a week ago. Right? What I didn't tell you about leprosy is not only does it affect your relational and physical life, but people assume that if you received leprosy, it was an act of God against you because you had sinned. So not only would he be sick and isolated, people would say, that Simon guy, he's a sinner. Because he has leprosy, he must be a sinner. So Simon is the same person, right? Like he's in the same, he was in the same situation. And I don't know, I feel like there's something about humanity that when you meet someone who struggled in the same way you struggled, that there's like a bond, Right, there's something that kind of like brings you together. If you struggled in some way that was similar, you can come together and understand and have compassion. So, so when you hear what Simon says to himself, you, you begin to see that something is not right with him. Something is off with him. That, that this, this gesture of gratitude and appreciation to Jesus, you kind of wonder like, wait a minute. Like, what's this all about, really, Simon? Because if you were truly gracious and grateful, and if this act of this party was really heartfelt, how could you think something like this about someone who was very similar to you in very, a very similar situation? Maybe this is not so pure after all. Maybe this party is not that Innocent. Maybe it's not really heartfelt. And, and remember, he was a Pharisee. And he and his friends, they all didn't like Jesus very much. They all had negative thoughts about Jesus, and his sickness drew him to Jesus. And maybe it changed his mind for a time, but maybe those old Pharisee thoughts 
about this guy's a fake, this guy's a phony, this guy's dangerous, this guy's gonna upend everything that we built that is good and wonderful and he's gonna ruin it all. Maybe those thoughts started coming back or maybe they never left. And so he says this and Jesus knows it. So Jesus steps forward and he calls him out on this. And he gives a parable and asks him this question that really like, really puts Simon on the spot and calls him out on his hypocrisy. And then this is what he says. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. All of these greetings, all of these things that Jesus is saying Simon didn't do are customary greetings that you do for any guest that enters your home. Any person that comes, you offer water so they can wash their feet, you greet them with a hug and a kiss, and for some people you give them oil, which is not expensive, but it's something for them. And this is very customary, this is normal, this is normal civil behavior between people when you invite someone to your home, let alone the guest of honor of your party, let alone the guest of honor of your celebration, let alone the guy who saved your life. And there's nothing. No water, no greeting, no oil, no nothing. Simon does none of this. And this is more frustrating knowing who Simon was and knowing what Simon Knew. Simon, as I said, was a Pharisee. What this means is he was highly educated. By the age of 12, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have memorized all of it by age 12. By age 15, he would have memorized the entire Old Testament. Okay? This was the common practice of education at this time. So he would have had, at this time, memorized the entire Old Testament of the Bible, and he would have memorized 300 prophecies that specifically pointed to the coming of the Messiah. 300 verses that pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And then there's this guy, Jesus, who comes. He says he's the Messiah. He claims to be the Messiah. People are wondering if he's the Messiah. Simon is supposed to be an expert. If anyone wondered if Jesus was the Messiah, they would have gone to Simon and say, Simon, hey, you're the expert. What do you think? What do you think? You, you know all this stuff. Simon should have known, and he was the guy who came and miraculously took away leprosy from his life. Saved his life from here until the point of death. Fixed everything with power. Clearly he has power. He was drawn to him for a moment. But in this moment, he's like, maybe this guy's not who I thought he was. Because He's receiving this act of love and this gesture of thanks from this, this woman. And on the other hand, you have this woman who we don't really know much about. There's a lot of different theories as to who this woman was. But what we can know for sure is she's not a Pharisee. What we can know for sure is that she doesn't know as much as Simon knew or Nicodemus knew. We know that she's not wealthy because all she has is this jar of perfume that she can offer to Jesus. But this woman does what is right in Jesus' eyes, and he loves 
what she does. And this is one of the few stories that is in every single book of the, of the Gospels. And he even says that everyone will know what this woman did. So, so clearly she did something very special and she honored Jesus in this interaction. So you have Simon and this woman and you highlight, it gets really, really highlighted the difference between this woman and Simon. And as you step back, as you step back from just like this story and from this exchange and this interaction, we see that what else is highlighted is two ways of approaching a relationship with Jesus. It highlights the difference between two ways to look and respond and relate to Jesus. Two ways to deal with that question of who Jesus is to me. And it highlights a difference between, and this is our second verse statement, verses statement for this series. It highlights the difference between knowledge versus intimacy. Knowledge versus intimacy. In Simon, you see knowledge. In this woman, you see intimacy. The difference between knowing about Jesus, knowing about God, versus having an intimate, close relationship with God, an intimate, close relationship with Jesus. Simon knew everything there was to know. Yet in this moment, even when his life was spared, he wasn't able to connect with Jesus in a close, intimate way. But this woman who had far less knowledge shares this experience with Jesus that is so, so touching and poignant. Knowledge versus intimacy. And then I have to put this question on us. Where do you fall in that line? Do you have knowledge of Jesus or, and, and lack intimacy with him? Do you have all the information? Can you quote the verses? Do you know all the stories? Do you know all the proof texts? Do you know all the apologetics? But do you have intimacy? Because what Jesus is asking for is intimacy. He wants a close relationship with his children. He's not asking that you just understand and know facts. He wants intimacy. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not downplaying knowledge at all. Knowledge is extremely important in the life of faith. Knowledge is important in, in terms of every re important relationship that you guys have. In fact, I would go so far as to say is you cannot have intimacy without knowledge. You cannot. You cannot have intimacy with someone you know nothing about. In order to have intimacy, you have to know the person, right? You have to know their likes and dislikes. You have to know their values. You have to know what they care about and what they don't care about. You have to know how they take their coffee. You have to know what kind of foods they like in order to have intimacy in a relationship. Knowledge is absolutely essential to have intimacy in a relationship. And to have intimacy without knowledge is cheap. And people often seek intimacy with people without knowledge, and it is, it is not what God wants for people. It is painful and hard. Intimacy requires knowledge 100%. And there are some of us who have sought to have a close relationship with Jesus, but you lack knowledge. And some of us who have sought to have intimacy with Jesus and we go to him and we pray to him and we want to have these times with him where we really sense his presence and he really speaks into our lives and you've struggled. And you're like, I've tried it. I do devotions. I do quiet times, but I hear nothing from him. I'm not, I don't have a relationship with him and I've tried. Maybe actually you've tried to have intimacy without knowledge. 
Maybe you need to seek to understand him more. Maybe you need to read more. Maybe you need to study more. Like you can't, because you can't have intimacy with knowledge. You need to go back to the book. You need to go back to the word of God. That's where you can learn and know who Jesus was. Because you cannot have intimacy without knowledge. But for those of us who grew up in the church, like, do you really think you don't have enough knowledge? Like, you feel like you don't know enough? See, what we have to be aware of, especially if you grew up in the church and you, you heard, you've heard a million sermons and you've, you've attended a number of Bible studies, like so many things, you've read the books, you've, you've done all that, you've been to the seminars, what you have to be careful is, yes, you can have intimacy, you cannot have intimacy without knowledge, but you can have knowledge without intimacy. You gotta know that. We have to know that we can have knowledge but have no intimacy, right? We have this with celebrities. You have knowledge of celebrities. You have knowledge of what they do and what they like and what they eat. On social media and Instagram, it brings you into their life. You can know what your favorite celebrity ate for breakfast yesterday. But that does not mean you have any intimacy. It doesn't mean you have a close relationship. You can have knowledge but not have any intimacy. And I think what's interesting is that in, in the book of Genesis, when, when the writer describes the relationship between Adam and Eve and, and this, their, their, their close relationship, it uses the, the Hebrew word for know. Right? In Genesis chapter four, it says, Adam made love to his wife. This is just translation, actually, in the King James Version, is Adam, what? Knew his wife. And that's actually a better translation. Adam knew his wife. To describe this intimate act between husband and wife, the Bible writer used the Hebrew word for know. To know. Adam knew his wife. A Hebrew scholar says, describes it as, to know someone is the mingling of souls. It's not simply facts, figures, things about them, is something far deeper. And it's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15 as he looks at the Pharisees, as he looked at people in his life, as he looked at the quote-unquote followers who loved him and cheered his name. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this is a really hard question that I have to ask you and I have to ask myself. Is my heart far from God? And I can't answer this question for you. In fact, I shouldn't answer. And nobody should answer this question for you. Only you can answer this question honestly. And you don't even have to speak it out loud. But right now, you got to just have a moment and ask yourself that question. Is my heart far from God? And I don't even want to qualify that. Just what's your gut say? What's your heart say as my heart far from God? Is my heart far from God? Because what God desires, what Jesus desires with you is intimacy. And yes, you gotta have knowledge, but don't let that stop, don't stop it there, don't end it there. Let it lead to a relationship of intimacy. For Simon, his heart was far from God. Clearly, his heart was far from God. Because when your heart is not far from God, when your heart is close, when you're mingling with God, you don't have that reaction to quote-unquote sinners like Simon did. 
So his heart was clearly far from God, and it was expressed in his behavior and his actions. It's starting to make me think that maybe this whole party is just kind of a show, Simon. Maybe this whole act of gratitude and, and, and act of celebration was just kind of an act to, to, to look good in front of people and do the quote-unquote right thing. But in his behavior and his actions, it's clear that his heart is far from him. And you know, it's really important for us to understand, especially if you're at a place where you've grown up in the church and you feel like you're the same person that like you've always been. Like, you know, and we talked about this last year and I asked that question, like, how long have you been going to church and you're the exact same person? You know, how long have we been going to church and listening to the sermons and reading the books and reading the Bible but we got the same issues, the same concerns, the same problems, the same sins, the same temptation? Right, I don't say that to judge anyone or condemn anyone because I'm with you right there. We asked that question last year, I remember. And it was like really convicting for a lot of us. You know, if we're in that place, you see, here's what we have to understand. Knowledge does not necessarily lead to transformation. And this is why I'm really, really, really talking about this. Because knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to transformation. How do we know that? We are in the season of the year where this is true. Right, in the New Year's, when everyone has New Year's resolution, I had a New Year's resolution. I kept it for three days, and then I failed. Right, and I like really thought I was gonna, like I actually tried really hard. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, good. Thursday, I failed. Right, when we talk about New Year's resolutions and failures, it's not knowledge that's the problem, is it? Right, no one is like, no one says, you know, I, I wanna eat better, and I wanna exercise more. If you say that, no one is ever like, well, let's check the science on that, right? Like, everyone knows, you know that if you eat better and you exercise, you will be healthier. It's not a question of knowledge. It's not a question of knowledge. We know that if I save money, if I save more money, what's going to happen? I will have more money saved, right? Like, that's not a question. No one's like, let's, let's look at the math. Everyone knows that, but that doesn't mean we do it. We all know that you shouldn't text and drive. We all know that. Knowledge does not necessarily lead to transformation. Necessarily lead to transformation. So what does? What does actually change us? Because it's not necessarily knowledge. It is actually intimacy. Um, so, so the Apostle Paul, who was like a super smart guy in his life, he, he was a Pharisee, and he was kind of seen as like the top-of-the-line Pharisee. You know what he said about knowledge? He had it, okay? He had it. He said this. When he's talking about this is not the, this is not the right verse. This is not the right verse. But what the, what the Apostle Paul said is he says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. And the word he used, the word he used is actually kind of the image of inflating a balloon. Knowledge inflates you. Man, think about that word picture as it relates to like the, the, the Christian life. Puffs up, inflates. Where it looks big and it looks grand, but on the inside, what is it full of? It's just full of air. It's just empty. There's nothing in there. He says, knowledge can do that because I was there. I had all the knowledge in the world, but I was just a fat balloon with nothing on the inside. Knowledge doesn't change you. Knowledge will not transform you. What we have to understand is that it's that intimacy. Intimacy is what will lead to transformation. Not, not knowledge. Intimacy. 
Even when you think about our own lives, it's relationships with people that actually change us more than anything else, isn't it? It's people that we bring into our lives that influence us and, and they, they, they help to mold and shape us. It's accountability, it's community, it's relationship that leads to transformation, not just simply knowledge. It's intimacy that leads to transformation. And so that's why this is so important. If we're talking about making this year the year of Jesus where we get real serious about our relationship with him, where we begin to really understand and know the answer to that question is who is Jesus to me? We have to understand that it's intimacy that is key, not simply knowledge. And if you love the Bible, that's awesome. If you love to study the Bible, that's fantastic. And you should share that. And you should share all the things that you learn with people. But you have to make sure that your knowledge of the Bible and Scripture is leading to intimacy with Jesus. And if you seek intimacy, intimacy but you have none, maybe you need to go back to the Word and study and learn. Knowledge and intimacy work together. Now, I don't have enough time to go through all the things that help you create intimacy in your life, but I'll make this real short and quick. And actually, I have another sermon that I preached previously where I go into these three things that help you develop intimacy in your life. And if you want that, uh, intimacy with Jesus, um, you can contact me and we can share those. But real quick, what it comes down to, if you want intimacy with Jesus, um, if you want intimacy with Jesus, we, you need, can you, Matt, can you put the time, yeah, this one on the screen? Time, transparency, and submission. If you want intimacy with Jesus, you have to give him time. Unrushed, unscheduled time just with him. Let him speak into your life and just spend that time. You cannot have intimacy without time. The second is transparency, which is basically honesty. You need honesty with God for him to be real to you. I always say this. If you want God to be real to you, be real with him. If you be real with him, he begins to become more real to you. And finally, you need submission. You need to have an opportunity to obey and do what God has asked you to do as he speaks to you in these moments. It's in those moments that you begin to develop trust. So you need time, transparency, and submission. And so I want to go back to that verse that we, we looked at earlier, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, where it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is the question for you to take with you today, to ask that question. Is my heart far from God? Is my heart far from God? And here's the crazy thing. That, that verse that Jesus said in Matthew 15, it actually comes from the Isaiah. And the Isaiah verse is even it's even rougher. It's even more in your face. Can we put that on screen? Isaiah chapter 29. The Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do we simply say that we're his? Right? Do we come and profess to be believers and Christians? And maybe we wear the shirts or we have the, the Bible verses or the stickers on our car. Do we honor him with our lips? We sing the songs and say the right thing. But are, where are our hearts? Are our hearts far from him? Knowledge versus intimacy. If we want this to be the year of Jesus, we must lean towards developing a relationship with God that can be described as intimate. Intimate, close, a mingling of souls, whatever that means with God and Jesus, intimacy. 
Now, as we close, um, if, you, if you attend our church, you know, you know that I like to end sermons with like something practical and something that you can apply to your life and that kind of a thing. But that thing, that practical teaching that, that I want you to apply and, and how you can do something with all this, it's coming at the end of the series. So each week, I'm not going to give you one little thing to work on. At the end of this series, it's going to culminate in this one thing that I'm going to ask you guys to do. So uh, I'm going to, as we close this series, if you're expecting something you can grab hold of and hold on to and and do something and apply, I don't have that for you. That's coming at the end. I simply ask that you ask that question this week. Where is my heart? Is my heart far from God? Now next week, This all builds with each other. Next week, like I said, is the most difficult message. We're going to be dealing with a question that's probably very, very challenging for you. And we kind of need all these statements together in order to make that step towards intimacy with him. So uh, I just want to invite you guys back. I want to invite you guys to watch online next week to join us as we continue in our series to build up to these ways that we can make this year the year of Jesus. But I want to close with that, that question, where is your heart? Ask yourself that question. Is my heart far from God? Am I just simply declaring it with my lips? Or is my heart close to God? Your heavenly father, your living savior wants an intimate relationship with you. And as Pastor Jonathan was sharing us at the beginning of the service, the ball's in your court. So whatever you need to do, take that step towards intimacy with him. Don't get confused. It's not about knowledge. It's about intimacy. And I hope you join us next week for part three of this series. I think it's going to be a blessing. I want to invite you guys back for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, God, for uh, this message. I know that we can often confuse knowledge with intimacy. We can confuse knowing a lot about you with actually knowing um, and Father, if there's anyone in this room who is struggling with that or is having that realization today, God, I pray that you would move them out of that place. I pray, Father, that all of us would, at the very least, would leave this, this service today desiring intimacy with you, desiring a relationship with you that is not about facts and knowledge and understanding, but about honesty, where we know you, We know who you are and you know us and we're in this relationship where we allow you to speak into our lives. Father, I pray, God, that you would mingle with us today and that we would open our hearts back up to you. Lord, we want intimacy. You want intimacy. And I hope, Father, that we can pray this week and ask that question and answer honestly where our hearts are. And we ask, God, that you would lead us to the honest answer. Thank you so much, God, for this message. Thank you so much for each person here. Thank you for challenging us today. In your name we pray.